Hello and welcome to Holmes Borden and the Watson Papers. This is your host, Chris Dilworth. Thanks for joining me. I think Sherlock had underestimated how difficult it would be for him to conduct an investigation in the United States. In many of the official records, he's working hand-in-hand with the police, and that gives him a huge advantage, because they tell him everything they know, and they answer all his questions, and they give him access to the crime scene. He doesn't have that in the Borden case, and we've already covered that in earlier episodes. And even in those cases in the official record, where the police aren't involved and he's just dealing with private clients, he's usually allowed to go wherever he wants. Sometimes that's not the case, but even so, he almost always gets important information from his clients. He can ask them for details. And again, that's not what's happening here. Finally, let's remember that when he's working on a case in London, he has a team of street urchins, which he calls the Baker Street Irregulars. And they do a lot of his legwork. They report back to him. And they can be really effective sources of information because they don't tend to attract attention. They come and go without being noticed. So without all these advantages, he's feeling pretty stymied by early September. He's even thinking about approaching someone in the Borden family or close to the Borden family to ask for help. But he hasn't quite gotten to that point. So what he decides to do is send Watson up to Boston to the Massachusetts Medical Association, or MMA, and they have a headquarters in Boston. He sends Watson up there on the off chance that Watson can find some information about Moriarty. And of course, the odds are against it, and that is what happens. He doesn't get anything useful. He's up there for a couple days poking around, and he finds nothing but bad news. To begin with, anybody can call himself a doctor in Massachusetts. There's no licensing process. You can hang a fake diploma on the wall and pass yourself off as a doctor, and you're probably not going to get caught. The MMA is a voluntary organization. Doctors in Massachusetts don't have to join it. Moriarty probably knows enough and is smart enough not to raise his profile by joining some organization that he doesn't need to. And even if he had joined, it wouldn't be under the name Moriarty, or for that matter, under the name Davidson, which was the name he had used when he was a ship's doctor and when he first met Lizzie. So the trip is a waste of time, and when Watson gets back to Fall River, he gripes to Sherlock and says, this was just a complete waste of time. Sherlock says, you know, you're always talking about what a great detective I am, and you don't give me credit for all the hard work I put into these cases. A lot of it is checking details. Remember what Frederick the Great said, genius is the capacity for taking infinite pains. At any rate, Based on this experience up at the MMA in Boston, both Holmes and Watson quickly realize that there's not going to be any easy or practical way for them to find Moriarty through the use of directories or official lists or any kind of reference materials. In those days, they had things that were sort of like phone books. We used to have white pages and yellow pages. The white pages had people's addresses, their street addresses, and their phone numbers, and those were listed alphabetically. And then in the yellow pages, you would have the professions and the businesses, and you could also buy advertising in the yellow pages to make your business or your professional profile higher. 
people didn't generally have phones in those days, but they did have something similar to a phone book in the sense that you could get a city directory and look somebody up and find out where they live. You could also check and see how many doctors are there in the city, where are they located, and the same for all the other professions. But they realized that even using these city directories, that's not going to be an awful lot of help because there are hundreds and hundreds of doctors in southeastern Massachusetts. And the only way they can tell whether a particular doctor who's listed in a city directory is, in fact, Moriarty, is to go over to the address of that doctor and hang around until the doctor comes back to his office or his home or leaves his office or his home. And you might be there all day waiting for a doctor to show up. And if you've got hundreds of doctors you need to check, you could be doing this for months and months. And they don't have the time to do this. It's not practical. And so they quickly abandon that option. So Sherlock says, you know what we're going to do is we're going to tail Emma. You and I are going to alternate. I have other leads I need to follow. Plus, if I tail her every day, she's more likely to figure out that we're watching her. So I'll do it one day, you do it the next. Now, we know that Watson wasn't experienced at tailing people, but he had learned something from Holmes. And Holmes also takes pains to make sure that whenever Watson's working, he looks something different than he did two days earlier. He makes Watson shave off his mustache and trim his sideburns, and that way Sherlock has every possible option in terms of facial hair combination. Fake beards, fake mustaches, different types of fake beards, mutton chop sideburns, etc. And then he takes Watson down to a secondhand clothing store and he buys some outfits for him and then a whole bunch of hats because in those days, almost every man who went out on the street wore a hat of some kind. It could be a bowler or a boater or it could be a cloth cap or a Homburg or a variety of different hats. And so that would help to keep them from being noticed when they tailed Emma if they wore different clothing and different styles from one day to the next. Every morning, they would wait somewhere on 2nd Street, not right in front of the Borden house, but within 100 yards of it, one way or the other. They'd wait for Emma to come out, and then they would follow her for the day, whatever she did. She often took the train up to Taunton. That's the county seat. There's a jail in Taunton, and that's where Lizzie's being held. She's not being held in Fall River. Sometimes Emma didn't go to Taunton. Sometimes she just stayed in Fall River and did errands. And there were days where she didn't even leave the house. And so whoever was watching her that day would just hang around and go nowhere and do nothing. When she did go to the train station, whoever was tailing her that day would try to get within earshot when she was at the ticket window to find out where she was going so that they could buy a ticket to the same destination. And for the first couple of weeks, whenever she took the train, it was always to Taunton. But then one day in the middle of September when Watson was tailing her, she did something different. The first thing she did that was unusual was she went to the bank. Watson had to give her 15 or 20 seconds before he followed her in, but he gets into the bank in time to see that she's withdrawing cash. And it looks like a fair amount of cash because the teller is counting it out. He's putting them down, the bills down one at a time and counting it. Watson's not close enough to hear the amounts, but it looks like it's a sizable amount of money. She collects the money, she puts it in an envelope, and she sticks it in her purse and walks out. And Watson follows her, and she goes down to the train station. But this time, instead of buying a ticket to Taunton, she buys one to New Bedford. 
So Watson gives her a little time to leave the waiting room or that ticket area and head off to the platform. And then he does the same thing. He buys a round trip ticket to New Bedford and then he goes to the platform and he tries to stay out of her line of sight. The train pulls in, they get on. It's a 35 or 40 minute trip to New Bedford. And when they get there, Emma gets off and walks maybe five minutes to a local park and she sits on a bench by herself. Watson stays behind her where she can't see. He's not close enough to hear her. He's not close enough to get a really good look at the young man who approaches her. And when I say young man, he's really a boy. Watson estimates this kid is somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. And he approaches Emma. He sits on the bench and they talk briefly. Emma takes the envelope out of her purse, the one that Watson is pretty sure contains the money, hands it to the kid. They speak for a few more seconds and then they split up. Emma heads back for the station. Now, Holmes had been very clear with Watson all along that he was to follow Emma wherever she went. He was explicit about this. If he followed her up to Taunton and she went in to visit her sister, he was to hang around the entrance or within sight of the entrance until she came out and follow her wherever she went, which was invariably back to Fall River. He was not to do any investigating on his own. And yet here he had come across something unexpected. I need to mention right now, before I go any further, that Sherlock had told Watson if he had to bet, he suspected that Moriarty had set up his practice in New Bedford. And one of the reasons that Sherlock believed that was likely was because two weeks before the murders, Emma had gone to Fairhaven, which is a town just to the south of New Bedford, and she had been there for two weeks visiting friends. And for the first three days of that two-week time frame, Lizzie had gone to New Bedford and stayed with some other family friend. She had had a fair amount of freedom while she was there. That had come out in the newspaper articles, that had come out in the testimony. The reporters had gossiped about that. What was she up to in New Bedford? Was it possible she'd bought a hatchet? What was she doing? Sherlock was pretty sure that she had at some point hooked up with Moriarty and that that was probably because Moriarty lived there. That was why they had chosen New Bedford. At any rate, because Sherlock has told Watson that he thinks Moriarty is living and working in New Bedford, Watson says to himself, this kid's connected to Moriarty. This kid's going to bring the money back to Moriarty. I really need to follow him. This may, this may be our only chance to catch Moriarty. I can't afford to pass up on this opportunity. So Watson trails the kid. He walks behind him at a discreet distance. The kid goes up a major road in the city, a major street called Hillman Street or Hillman Avenue. It's headed off away from the waterfront. Watson follows him for five or ten minutes, again at a safe distance. Now, Watson has learned certain tricks about tailing people without being caught. Holmes has taught him how to do that. Watson also knows about ways that you can check to see if you are being followed. Obviously, you can turn around and look, but the kid doesn't do that. He doesn't look over his shoulder. He doesn't give any indication that he thinks he's being followed. Another technique that Holmes would use is he would stop in front of a store that had a big plate glass window. He'd pretend to be looking at the display inside the store but he would actually be using the plate glass window as a mirror. And he would look to see if anybody was standing across the street or down the street dawdling. Then he'd go up another block or two and repeat what he had just done. He would stop and pretend to look in 
do some window shopping and then use the window as a mirror to see if the same person was stopping every time he stopped. Was there a person or people that kept stopping every time he stopped? This kid is not doing that. He's not using any of the tricks that Watson is aware of that people use when they think they might be followed. So they've been going up Hillman Street for about 10 minutes, and then the kid takes a left on a street called Chestnut Street. Now, he's probably 75 or 100 feet ahead of Watson, so he's out of sight for a few seconds. Watson hurries to catch up with him because he doesn't know whether the kid is going to go right into a house or a building right around the corner. That's possible, and if he does, then Watson will have lost him. So Watson hurries up, comes around the corner, and his worst fears are realized. The kid's nowhere to be seen. And Watson can't help himself. He looks around a little bit. He wants to make sure he's not missing something. Maybe the kid dropped down to one knee to tie his shoelace. He just has to make sure that he doesn't stumble on the kid or that the kid isn't sitting on a a stoop of a building or that the kid is not in sight. He has to confirm that. But it's clear that the kid is not there. He's gone. He's disappeared somewhere into one of these buildings, apparently. So Watson hesitates. He's not sure what to do. And then he walks the length of that block on Chestnut Street in the direction that he had already been going, gets to the end of the block, and waits and looks back down the street the way he's come, gives it about 10 minutes to see whether the kid emerges, but the kid doesn't. And at that point, Watson decides he ought to head back to Fall River. So he goes back to the train station in New Bedford and takes the first train back. And on the way back, he starts to get uneasy about what he's done. And he thinks to himself, this kid, in theory, could have somehow followed me down to the train station and gotten on the train, and maybe he's going to follow me, see where I go, and then go back and tell Moriarty. When the train pulls in to Fall River, Watson jumps out. He's the first one off the train, and he goes to a spot on the platform where he sees the entire length of the train, and he's looking, scanning the people getting off the train to see if the kid's there, and he doesn't see the kid. He waits until everybody's off the platform. Everybody's collected their luggage. Everybody's met the people that are greeting them. Everybody's gone, and he never sees the kid. He goes into the station and looks around the waiting room. He doesn't see the kid. But just to be safe, just in case somebody has been following him, he goes into the bathroom, into a stall, closes the the door to the stall, and he takes this carpet bag, this small carpet bag that he's had with him all day, opens it up, And he removes his fake beard, puts it in the bag, and changes hats. He takes off the hat he's been wearing and puts it in the bag and takes out a different hat and puts that on. So he has a somewhat different appearance. He emerges from the bathroom and then he goes back to the hotel, but he does it in a roundabout way using the regular tricks that I've told you that he's learned to see whether he's being followed. And there's no evidence that he is being followed. When he gets back to the hotel, Sherlock is not there, so Watson has to wait. And Sherlock doesn't return until late afternoon, probably around 4. He doesn't look happy. He looks tired. It looks like he's had a bad day. He comes into the room. He throws himself down into a chair, and he says, Well, Watson, tell me what happened. Give Give me all the details. Watson starts at the beginning, talks about the bank, and then going to the station and buying the tickets to New Bedford. Holmes is questioning him closely. He's listening carefully. He's asking for details. And then Watson gets to the part where the kid and Emma are splitting up and heading in different directions, and he confesses that he had followed the kid, not Emma. At that point, Holmes leaps to his feet. He's extremely agitated, and he says, I must say, Watson, you have done very badly. 
Well, Watson can't help but try to defend himself, even though he's on his back foot. He knows he disobeyed Holmes. He knows that he's not really in a position to do so, but it's just instinctive. And he says, how come I'm never allowed to take the initiative? And what if this was our only chance to track down Moriarty? And how could it help you if all I did was follow Emma home? And for all I know, Sherlock, if I hadn't followed the kid, you would have been mad that I didn't. I had to make a decision and I did what I thought was best. And I really don't think anybody followed me. I did all the tricks you've taught me about checking to see if I was being pursued. And I don't think anybody did. And besides Sherlock, Now I think we know that Moriarty has an office or a home on that block on Chestnut Street, that block where I lost track of the kid. Well, at this point, Sherlock loses his temper. He really gets mad and he says, you are so stupid. You're too stupid to make decisions like this. I gave you really, really clear instructions and you didn't follow them. And now you've not only compromised the investigation, but you've probably endangered our lives. Congratulations, you imbecile. Watson says, what do you mean our lives are in danger? I don't think anybody followed us back. And besides, like I said, I think I know where Moriarty is based. He's somewhere on that block in Chestnut Street. Holmes says, Watson, there's no way that Moriarty would have allowed that kid to lead anybody back to him directly. Moriarty's too clever for that. He and the kid have some kind of routine where the kid goes down, meets with Emma on a regular basis, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's once every six weeks, who knows, collects the money, and then does this routine where he hurries up Hillman Street, turns a corner on Chestnut, and goes directly to some hiding place that he and Moriarty have chosen, and he waits there out of sight to see if someone comes huffing and puffing around the corner, which is exactly what you did. And then if that person comes around the corner and stands there like an idiot and looks around, then he knows he's been followed. So congratulations, you fell right into the trap. And then once you walk by and head down to the other end of the block, he reverses his his direction. He goes either goes back the way he had come, or there's some alleyway, or he cuts through a yard, or and then what he does is he probably goes back to the train station and finds another place to hide. He might climb up a drain pipe and lie down on the roof of the station and watch. He could do a bunch of different things just to confirm that you are headed back to Fall River. The other option is he could have gone and tipped off Moriarty. And let's hope he didn't do that right away. But the fact that you didn't see him again does not make me feel at ease. The thing I'm most worried about is that Moriarty followed you. In other words, Moriarty was watching to see if anybody followed the kid that he saw you follow the kid, that he got a good look at you, that he made sure you were following the kid, and then having been satisfied that that was the case, he went down to the train station in New Bedford and waited for you. Now, you wouldn't have been looking for him. Yes, I know we have a composite idea as to what he looks like, but we haven't seen him and we haven't confirmed it. And he may have done something or taken steps to change his appearance and As I said, you would not have been looking for him at the train station. Admit it, Watson. You would have been looking for the kid. So if that's what happened, then Moriarty would have been able to get on the train and follow you back. And if that's the case, we're in big trouble. 
And at that point, Sherlock pulls out his suitcase from under the bed and he starts packing. He turns to Watson and says, are you just going to sit there gaping like a fish or are you going to start packing your stuff? Because otherwise, you can just stay here and wait for Moriarty to kill you. When they're done packing, Sherlock and Watson go down to the lobby of the hotel where they've been staying. Sherlock tells Watson to wait in a stairwell out of sight. He goes and pays their bill. And then when he's done that, he comes back, grabs Watson, and instead of going out the front door, they head into the back of the hotel, down a long hallway, down into the basement, and exit that way. Now, one of the things that you'll know about Sherlock, if you have read the official versions, is that whenever he does an investigation, he scouts the area. He's very familiar with London because that's where he lives. He knows London better than almost anybody. That's Watson's opinion. But when they go somewhere unfamiliar, Sherlock takes time to reconnoiter the place, to get an idea as to where things are and just the layout, how to get around. And that's what he's been doing with part of his time since they've been living in Fall River. And by now, they've been in Fall River for six weeks, up to six weeks, and he's learned his way around. So he's taking Watson through these alleys and these back ways. And finally, they come to a livery stable. Watson's never been to this place before. There are plenty of livery stables in the city. And again, Holmes parks Watson in the corner where nobody can see him. And Holmes goes up and talks to the manager. The manager gives instructions to some young man, some teenager. He goes off. Watson sees Holmes pull out some money, pay the manager. And then after about 10 minutes, Holmes grabs Watson again, and they go to the stables, and they get in a buggy. rented a horse and buggy. That's what Holmes has done. So they get in. Holmes takes the reins. They put their bags in the back behind the seats. And then this teenager that had harnessed the horse, he hops in behind them and sits with the luggage and doesn't say anything. And Watson knows that he's not in a position to be asking questions right now. He knows that Holmes would not want to be explaining things to him. So he just sits there. They head out of Fall River and they go north towards Taunton. And when they arrive there, about an hour and a half later, it's around supper time, They arrive at the train station, and Watson's familiar with this because he's been there a number of times when he has followed Emma, because this is where Emma goes. She takes the train up to Taunton, and then she walks to the jail. So he recognizes where he is. They pull up near the entrance of the station, and Holmes gets down, turns the reins over to the teenager, gives him a tip of some kind, grabs his bag and heads into the station and says nothing to Watson, but Watson obviously grabs his bag as well and follows at Holmes's heels. So I'm going to stop here and we'll pick up with the narrative next time. I hope you join me. And until then, take care. <laughs>